You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience on this fine Wednesday here at Northern Command Center, where we are in the process of setting up our new video show. So I am really in flux today, my office being turned upside down, my little abode here. Uh, So I'm going to be a little quick here, and I apologize for talking quickly. Rather than focusing on Mueller, I was proud today to not spend a minute watching it. And I know you guys turn in to this show to hear other things because, well, you could hear Mueller anywhere else. The real story today is that we have the ultimate foreign influence in our country, and that is illegal immigration. We have the ultimate anarchy where we are now having both judges nullify immigration law, but also the media. The media now determines the priorities and policies of DHS, and DHS will not enforce laws based on anarchy. So the more these private citizens, NGOs, and local officials engage in civil disobedience against immigration enforcement, the more they give in to them. Even putting aside the grave foreign influence foreign transformation of America through illegal immigration, just the effects of illegal immigration itself. But what I'm saying is the fact that we now are scared, we're scared of protesters, we're scared of the media, so therefore we are not going to enforce our laws. Folks, that is the mob rule that scared our founders. And they thought the mob rule would come from Americans. You know, we don't want to pay taxes. The notion that mob rule of foreign nationals breaking into our country could win the day, that is the news of the day nobody's talking about. You see, it's, a, it's very easy to just listen to the hearing with Mueller and come on as Rush Limbaugh and give your two cents. What's hardest to do what I'm doing is to spend three hours this morning researching five different cases getting all the details, investigating all the stories, all these sob stories of the media about deportations and ICE, CBP apprehensions. Oh, you're holding a family, man. Oh, you're violating the law. Oh, you're holding a U.S. citizen. Several different cases here. And then just in general, all these cases of people being allowed to remain in the country and commit crime after crime and endanger one American after another, one sex offender after after another, one drunk driving incident after another and in contravention to our laws ice is treated like the criminals and they're treated like the saviors that is the bigger news story of the day but you know what it takes time so my brain is all over the place i was trying to write an article and i stopped writing it because the case turned out to be even worse than i thought it was so i'm trying to get all the details and then and then i got my guys coming in to make the final, you know, set up, put in the lights and cameras so we could um, generally record the show from the home office once it goes to video. So there's a lot on my mind today. 
And it should be on the minds of everyone. I, I first just want to start off today, and I don't know how much time I'm going to have before I get kicked out of my own office. Axios reports, Dems winning immigration messaging fight. And they noted the, inter, the weekly interactions based on certain stories. They say negative stories about the Trump administration's immigration policies are getting much more online attention than stories that appeal to readers with immigration views aligned with the president, according to data from NewsWhip, exclusively provided to Axios. And they go on to show that since March 1st, among the top 100 articles about immigration, those likely to appeal to critics of the administration generated 23.1 million interactions. Those likely to appeal to readers who support the president's agenda generated 11.1 million interactions, less than half of the proponents of open borders. Now, what they don't tell you, which contradicts the previous Axios article we spoke about last week, is, is it really having the effect on public opinion? And I would answer no. The public supports us. But what I think is right, and everyone knows this, is that on the web, what is getting out is the other side. And this is because the lawyers and the PR people at DHS are schmucks. They are broken beyond belief and nothing has changed from the Obama administration. Every time the other side has a sob story, we never get the truth out. And then we don't go on offense about all our sob stories, which should be sob stories. All the cases. I mean, just today I have the case. I'm literally the only one reporting that this person with 457 aggravated sex offense charges against the minor was an illegal alien who was allowed to remain undetected for so many years. And we're going to talk about that. Then we got a little bunch of court cases that are screwing us good and bad news. You know, just, just real quick before we go into my point here about how bad DHS, DHS's press shop is and how it influences what they do. I just want to say the breaking news is that a D.C. district judge threw out the lawsuit against Trump's latest asylum policy. If you remember, Trump said, you know what, we're going to enforce our laws and say, hey, uh, if you could have applied in another country and you didn't, well, you know, you're not an asylee. And that's part of the um, protocols on refugees, the, the international treaty that the country signed. Mexico is a party to it. So they went ahead and they filed the lawsuit, ACLU and other groups, egregious groups, they filed the lawsuit in D.C. and in San Francisco. The D.C. court threw it out today. Here's what the administration needs to do, but I doubt they'll do it. They need to get out ahead of the San Francisco lawsuit and say, wait a minute. San Francisco is neither on the border, nor is it in D.C., you know, where you have jurisdiction over regulatory issues. You know, this is a regulation officially being promulgated by the administration. So it's either the border or D.C. D.C. threw it out. What right do you have to go to a San Francisco judge and say, hey, I want to overturn a border policy? Again, this is the perfect time that everyone would understand, perfect time to blow up this nationwide injunction thing. But of course, they're not going to do it. Muller, Muller, Muller. 
So anyway, let's get back to the main enchilada here, that we have become a banana republic in anarchy. We're literally, the, because they don't push back in the media war the way I say, they feel like they're losing because they feel like with this Axis article that the online media onslaught represents public opinion. And even if it did, it wouldn't be a just justify what they're doing, but it doesn't. So therefore, one after another, notice they protest, they give in, and they release the guy. So you had this case where this guy, Francisco Galicia, the Dallas Morning News, these bastards, and that's what they are, lied about it from day one and said, CBP detained and treated inhumanely an American citizen for three weeks. And you have Jeb Bush and everyone just jumps in. Facts don't matter. There's no investigative reporting anymore. Meaning, I don't care where you are on the spectrum, but when you see a story like that, right away you have to say, look, they don't detain Americans. For three weeks, certainly. I mean, it might be for a minute. I mean, Americans are detained by police every day for various questioning of things. But I mean, no one's locked up for three weeks. So you have a situation here where right away any honest reporter would say, wait a minute, there must be more to this to, to this story. And all the while, DHS refused to put out anything. So that's what kind of made them look guilty. Here's what happened. You're going to hear something no one else is going to hear. I mean, I put out some of the details on Twitter. I'm not writing an article until I could confirm certain things and whatever. It's still very fluid. It's, it's changing every second. So, you know, I'm just waiting off. But here's what I'll tell you where things stand now as of midday, Wednesday, July 24th. Galicia was part of a group of five people in a car that were stopped at the Falfuris checkpoint we have border we have secondary border patrol checkpoints this is the farthest north it's like 70 miles north it is in um uh, man i'm i'm drawing a blank here it drives me nuts i always report on this county because i know benny martinez is the sheriff there and i should know this but it's in the northern part of the county there it is in um it's the one where they find all the dead bodies all the time brooks county brooks county so they were stopped like anyone else, and you know, like anything in law law enforcement, you know, you got to look for signs, and they're looking for illegal aliens. And right away, two of them admitted to being illegal. So right away, that is an alien smuggling case because the other people, including I think one of the drivers or the driver. So even if you're an American, you're that's alien smuggling. So now I at least have the right to just question you. So from questioning came up the third guy, which is this Francisco Galicia, this 18-year-old, was also an illegal alien. At first, he showed an American birth certificate. But then upon further questioning, and by the way, he refused to speak English, from what I hear. He only speaks Spanish. He admitted that he was an illegal. And they checked. They checked with the records in Mexico. And here's what they found. They found that 
He was born not in Dallas, as the Dallas Morning News says, but he was born in um, Reynosa, which is the province of Tamaulipas, right across from uh, um, from the hot spots in the RGV in Hidalgo County. So he was born in Mexico. He applied for a border pass with America in 2015 and came in two dozen times since then as a Mexican national. Now, border pass is not a visa. It's we accord that to certain Mexican nationals to work here, and they're only allowed to go within a certain perimeter. Um, it only lasts for a certain – it expires often after two weeks. Um, it's called a border pass. It's, it's, a, it's less than a visa. Now, if you're an American citizen with a birth certificate, you don't say, can I get a border pass? You're an American. You come in. That's it. No, I've nobody and none of these agents in their entire lives have heard of an American who does that. But this is the information they have. He wasn't. See, yesterday we thought maybe he was an anchor baby, which unfortunately under prevailing policy, not law policy, we treat as a citizen. But no, he was born in Reynosa. He had a fraudulent second birth certificate that said he was born in America. Believe me, they only hold you for three three weeks if they're confident that you're deportable. And by the way, he has a younger brother who was deported and he was born in Mexico. I Meaning usually the family moves later. So it's the good, the younger the kids are, the more likely they're born in America. I mean, you could have it could have happen that you have the other way around, but that's what kind of made me suspicious at first. And they're confirming this. What happened was the the lawyers that they got a lawyer to agitate and present the false document, and that was it. And now the Dallas Morning News ran with it. Oh, ha ha! It's an American. Now, by the way, already today, the lawyers are starting to, well, we understand there were uh, confusing documents that were given over to um, CBP. We, there were confusing, oh, so, so their story already changed from them being Nazi stormtroopers. It just said, hey, I don't care if you're American. We're going um, to go ahead and um, lock you up anyway. We're going to hold you anyway. No. No, not at all. They now admit, oh, well, we kind of, yeah, we kind of misled you into thinking he was a Mexican national, but he's really an American. Late yesterday afternoon, CBP was about to put out a press release. I saw a copy of that press release. Yet rather than approving it, the D.C. headquarters, and this often happens, the local field offices are much better. They want to put out the truth, and they get stifled by the central command in D.C. at DHS. They scuttled it because they were going to release him, and then they released him. And there was such a lump in my throat. I said, you mean you're going to release an illegal alien? That you, rather than set the record straight with the public, you're going to release him and give in. Give in, give in, give in to lawlessness. And again, none of us are for detaining an American 
But that is the truth of the matter in this case. The the statement they were going to put out, and I'm just it's a little bit hard to read here. Francisco Irwin Galicia Chapa, 18 year old man, was taken into custody by U.S. Border Patrol agents as a smuggled alien on June 27th, 2019, at the Falfuris, um checkpoint. Initially, Galicia Chapa presented a U.S. birth certificate and claimed U.S. citizenship. However, in the process of confirming his identity, he admitted he was born in Reynosa, Tamaulipas, Mexico. Further record checks and interview of the subject revealed that he was issued a Mexican passport and a border crossing card in 2015. Using the border crossing card, he was admitted to the U.S. more than two dozen times as a Mexican citizen. The case was turned over to ICE for further investigation. Instead, they let him go, and today they put out a statement, Mealy Mouth saying, oh, we're not sure. Where is this? I'm just trying to get the statement here. Um, it's, it's egregious that they're just leaving their agents out to dry. This individual provided conflicting reports regarding status of citizenship after being apprehended by U.S. Border Patrol and transferred into ICE. Situations including conflicting reports of an individual and multiple birth certificates can and should take time to verify. While we continue to research the facts of the situation, the individual has been released from ICE custody. Both CBP and ICE are committed to the fair treatment of migrants in our custody and continue to take appropriate steps to verify all facts of the situation. Agents on the ground tell me it's complete BS. It's complete BS. This guy is a Mexican national legal alien. He is not an American citizen. This is mob rule. Rather than set the record straight, go on offense. They give in to the media. Then we have another case. In Tennessee, outside of Nashville, some of you might have seen the news on this yesterday where an illegal alien locked himself into a car and we'll get to, we'll get to this in a minute. Why ice doesn't break the window, but they ordered him to come out. He didn't a bunch of people in the local illegal aliens and their supporters and, agitator groups that should be investigated for violating federal law um, helped the guy arrange this, orchestrate this, that he stayed in there with air conditioning and gas and food with his 12-year-old son. That's a whole nother thing um, where they use them as political human shields now because they know you just, child, child, can't do it, can't do anything. Now, I don't know if that kid's an anchor baby or not. Based on the information I have, if that is indeed his kid, he probably was born here because the guy was allowed to remain here forever committing crimes. And then they formed a human chain around the car. Now, what I hear is it's not that the human chain scared off ice because um, they would have just you know grabbed them aside. It's just that once the guy wasn't getting out of the car, and we'll get to that in a minute, it just wasn't worth the spectacle. They'll come back and get him another time when they when they can. Now, you had local officials standing there, county council, sheriff, um, mayor, saying, 
ice is lawless. They're telling him to get out of the car. They have no right. They can't do this. How dare they try to break the law and just grab someone. People need to know their rights. We're going to tell them their rights. That's why we don't cooperate at all with any of this. We don't assist with it. Nothing. It's an administrative warrant. They don't have a criminal warrant. And on and on. Let me tell you something. Here's the truth about this guy. And this is what took me all morning, kind of slowed me down on many other issues, still dealing with this. I'm not, out of respect to ICE's mission, I'm not going to release the name of the individual because it has not been published. So I'm not going to release the name yet because there's no purpose. It will just compromise the mission because hopefully they'll come back and get him. But this individual is a 29-year-old Mexican national. He's going to turn 30 in August. This guy was arrested for three DUIs. He was arrested in North Carolina for driving without a license in 2007. He was arrested in Davidson County, Tennessee, in 2009 for DUI and driving without a license on March 30. Uh, what, when is this March 22nd? He was arrested for drunk driving and driving without a license March 22nd, 2010. Now, of course he didn't serve any time. He was issued probation. Ice got a hold of him at the time, went in front of an immigration judge he was ordered to voluntarily depart on July 28th, and he had until November 22nd to do so. Instead, he absconded, and a judge issued a final deportation order, making him an ICE fugitive for nine years. And, you know, they were all saying, oh, this guy was, see, this is the big line. None of the media was reporting he was a criminal alien. Oh, he's a family man, great guy. Oh, this and that. Amazingly, in middle of his fugitive, meaning in between the time when he was supposed to be deported, or at least self-deported at the time, August 31st of 2010, he was arrested again and found guilty of a misdemeanor identity fraud and driving without a license. Driving without a license. Never turned over, never identified. He had, a, he had a deportation order. So even people with a history of DUI, one case convicted of DUI, and order deported, they still shield them. ICE doesn't get a hold of him. You have to realize the N NCIC database, the biometrics have gotten better in recent years, but very recent years. So often they miss these people at a federal level, and the states don't work with them. And I'm going to get to that in a minute because many of you, of you are asking, the laws say, the laws were designed that no one could be in this country undetected. And certainly at your first interaction with police or courts, you should be turned over. How is it that an illegal is able to interact with police and courts left and right and cycle in and out of the criminal justice system? Even after, not just that generally as a, a legal alien, but after he was ordered deported specifically and never turned over. 
It turns out, and I'm still verifying this, I didn't get this from ICE because um, it was in a different state and they didn't even know about this. But from what I've dug up in Asheville, just over the, you know, the border of North Carolina, he was arrested years later in 2017 for domestic battery. Oh, a real family man. They all said he was a family man. Drunk driver, domestic battery. And then this guy was arrested in Davidson County on May 1st of this year on driving with a revoked license and with an open container of alcohol. And it was also a violation of his probation. Now, how in the world are you in the state on probation with How do you have it? How are you issued a driver's license, have it revoked, arrested a number of times, violate probation, be on probation with a final order of deportation? That's how much lawlessness and anarchy we have in this country. Evidently, that thing triggered the hit on ICE. They got the biometrics verified. And the guy as late as July 2nd appeared in court in Davidson County for a probation violation just a few weeks ago, three weeks ago. Now I hear that ICE didn't get him in the courthouse. Why did they wait a couple weeks? They didn't get him in the courthouse because he showed up with an infant. So think about it. this guy was able to remain for nine years with a final deportation order, cycle in and out of jail and have, an, have another anchor baby against our will. Unbelievable. But these bastards, Bob Mendez, this na- national metro councilman, the mayor, bro, his name is Briley, piece of garbage. I stokes fear and distrust in our most vulnerable communities, which is why we do not use our local resources to enforce ICE orders. He went on to promise to work with local groups to make sure residents know their rights and that support and resources are available for undocumented immigrants should the need arise. The councilman, Bob Mendez, said, there are reports I've heard that the ICE agents may have been telling the gentleman in the van that he had to give himself up or else they would arrest him. If, If that's what they said, that's not true. ICE was acting on a final deportation order of a criminal alien with a history of arrests dating back 12 years, convicted of DUI, probation violation, and you're telling me ICE is the lawless ones? What What's happening here is it's a mixture of anarchy with the citizenry of illegal aliens and their NGOs, anarchy of local sanctuaries where we don't enforce the law, Anarchy of losers in the lawyer and lawyer and press shops at DHS, DOJ, and the White House that refuse to enforce current law. And then mixed with that are various district and appellate judges engaging in civil disobedience. So in this case, there was a Ninth Circuit case that said they didn't go as far as to say you can't deport anyone without a um a criminal warrant, but They said an administrative warrant, you can't break into their house or car. Which is why they didn't do it here. But OPLA, 
which is the lawyers of ICE, right? ICE is three branches. Most people, when they think of ICE, they think of deportations. That's ERO, Enforcement and Removal Operations. HSI, Homeland Security Investigations, is their investigative arm. And then the lawyers are OPLA. They're the ones that take the case to court. And the lawyers are at, the, at a leadership level. There's good people work there. Leadership level, horrible. Why, why are you in, doing that in Tennessee? You have a Ninth Circuit overturned 200 years of case law. Right, I mean, the court said many of these cases that you're allowed to, right, again, you're not allowed to criminally convict someone, someone throw them in jail without a, a criminal, throw, throw someone in jail without a criminal warrant, but you could you could deport them without a criminal warrant and you could do anything you need to deport them. So the, the court said in the nine, you know turn of the century, around 1900, you could also take them in to, um, you know, you're allowed to detain them and apprehend them, right? Even though you're officially holding them, but it's not indefinite detention. You're just doing it to affect the deportation. So certainly you could, if, if they're being a criminal and violating the, the, and barricading themselves into something, it's like anything else, you can go get them. Because you're not going to get them in order to indefinitely imprison them, criminally convict them. You're going to just affect the deportation. Right? That is a simple point. This was um, in a Turner v. Williams, 1904. No limits can be put by the courts upon the power of Congress to protect by summary methods the country from the advent of aliens whose race or habits render them undesirable as citizens or to expel such if they have already found their way into the land and unlawfully remain therein. And they go, they go on to say that detention or temporary confinement as part of the means necessary to give effect to the exclusion or expulsion was held valid. Um, and, and that's it. Turner v. Williams, it's still to this day cited by the Supreme Court. They, they just said in that case, you can't throw them into a labor camp, which is what evidently they were doing then. So it's complete BS, but they follow that. So now they know they locked themselves in the house. I mean, it's insane. Now, there's a couple of things to point out here. First of all, that in itself is a violation. Somehow people think it's like checkmate. Illegals could do everything and ICE can't do anything. No, they must be deported and they can't do anything to thwart it. Okay. It's very simple. Very simple. This is 8 U.S.C. 1253. Any alien against whom a final order of removing is outstanding, who, and here's a list of things, willfully fails or refuses to depart from the U.S. within a period of 90 days, willfully fails or refuses to make timely application in good faith for travel or other documents necessary to the alien's departure, who connives or conspires or takes any other action designed to prevent or hamper or with the purpose of preventing or hampering the alien's departure pursuant to such or willfully fails or refuses to present himself for removal at the time and place required by the AG pursuant to such order is subject up to four years of imprisonment. So theoretically, they could go back and get a criminal 
warrant, if someone locks them up, that in itself is a criminal act, not just a civil immigration violation. But if you then, you know, hamper deportation or or don't present yourself, that's a 1253 criminal violation. They could get one. But the point is, why should they have to do that? Why should they give in to a lawless premise? It's not true. You're allowed to go and do anything to deport someone and affect that. And certainly someone with a final deportation order. Again, really expedited removal should be the law of the land. But certainly, I mean, this guy had a final order of removal. He had all of his chances. He was first offered voluntary departure. Criminal record dating back 12 years. But nobody in the media is reporting that there, and no other conservative media bothers to take the time to work these cases. Because Mueller. But then there's the issue of how these people could remain undetected in this country. 1304, 8 U.S.C. 1304 requires alien registration. They're always like, you can't ask me my papers. You can't ask me my papers. We don't have to carry papers. Uh, the 1940 Alien Registration Act. Yes, you do. We just never implement this. The law required the attorney general to set up a certificate and fingerprinted that every alien has to get certified and fingerprinted. And then they must carry around those documents. And if not, that's another crime. And really, this would, this should, see, this would hit so many of these guys that finagle themselves into status. It would make them a criminal alien. But we never enforce this. 1304E, every alien 18 years of age and over shall at all times carry with him and have in his personal possession any certificate of alien registration or alien registration receipt card issued to him pursuant to subsection D. Any alien who fails to comply with the provision of this subsection shall be guilty of misdemeanor upon which conviction is either a fine or imprisonment no more than 30 days or both. Why is this not enforced? Why are our laws treated as lawlessness and lawlessness treated as the laws? This is utterly out of control. Utterly out of control. I just don't know what to say anymore. And again, I do apologize here if you hear any noise in the background. We got our guy Rob from Dallas who came up to work here. Um, but I digress. You know, as everyone's focusing on Mueller, you know, the Democrats, ironically, are still focused on their stuff. Think about this. You think, all right, Mueller is the Super Bowl and – we, our side is done. I mean, forget it. I mean, we abandoned the field, but the left too, they're going to be into Mueller, right? Well, they have two hearings today on the treatment of illegals at the facilities. They're voting on a bill to put all sorts of handcuffs on, on border patrol. And I'm thinking again, where are Senate Republicans with bills on this hearings on this, how to enforce our existing laws that illegals cannot remain here and certainly as criminals. Is it that hard? Where is Trump calling for that? Oh, whoops, I forgot. He screwed us on the budget and we're all supposed to forget because Mueller. Mueller, 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 Mueller. It's all about Mueller.
It is unbelievable what is going on. And what I'm telling you is this lawlessness, let me ask you this question. Why should the American people, why should the citizenry pay taxes? Really? Why should we pay taxes if the federal government is not fulfilling its core job of protecting us from criminals and particularly external criminals who don't belong here, who pursuant to the laws duly passed by Congress have to be removed? They're laws that every sovereign nation has in some form. And yet they're able to have all sorts of legal help, PR help, local politician help harboring them. Well, why can't we be harbored and not paying taxes? And I'm telling you, this point of them not enforcing the law, of them getting hamstrung by local governments, it's taking its toll. We're not deporting people. You know, if you look at overall deportations, they were averaging 400,000 through most, you know, the, the first five years of Obama. Last year under Trump, 230,000. Even if you look at interior deportation, so you say that includes the border, but even in interior deportations, before Obama suspended law enforcement, when he was actually enforcing it in his first term, we were averaging 15 to 20,000. A couple months we reached like 22, 23,000. 15 to 20,000, let's say. Um, interior deportations per month. Mainly, most months, 17 to 21,000. Then it went down to like, you know, he suspended it, so it went down to five, 6,000 at the end of his term. They're only up to about 7,000. And a lot of that's, again, because it's because of the sanctuaries, but they're not enforcing the laws. So, you know, we've given you the border numbers, how the influx is now two to three times larger. We're starting to make a dent in it, but we're deterring them with this stuff. And hopefully, you know, finally, this asylum policy going through. Finally, he's listening to us. And you see, it's starting to work a little bit. It's going back the other way, not as quickly as we would like, but the trajectory is better than it was before. It's all about following current law. We can't be a lawless society where the government feels they can't handle the media and allows the media just to call the shots. Not just control the PR, but to control the operations of what our government does in executing, faithfully executing the laws of the land. So that's the story with these cases. We're going to watch many of these cases very carefully. But I want to talk to you about something else that's connected to this. A while back, maybe a year ago, we talked about from Derek Maltz, the former head of DEA Special Operations Division. Most drug trafficking in this country is um, related to criminal alien networks out of either Mexican or Colombian cartels. So the names that you're going to see arrested associated with those cases are usually, you know, Hispanic sounding names. But there is a part of the market that's being cornered. That's Yemenis 
mainly Yemenis, to a certain extent, Jordanians, where they own these bodegas, delis, um, gas station, mini marts. And they would sell, they would do a couple things. Not all of them would do all, all these in one shot, but they would engage to various, um, varying degrees, cigarette, illegal cigarette sales, welfare EBT fraud, and K2 and spice sales. These K2 cases were um, where you would see literally these cases of 50 kids just dropping dead like zombies in a park because they would sell this K2 synthetic marijuana that was laced with rat poison. And it was really horrible stuff. And Derek told me, he said, take a look, all of the names that you see being um, arrested for this type of stuff, guess what? They're all Yemeni-sounding names. And I was like, no way, no way. And he would show me all these cases where you literally had people related to terrorists in this country as immigrants killing Americans with drugs, also engaging in EBT fraud. And then they would fund terrorism overseas. And I just got to thinking, because this all comes back full circle to the budget and spending, our foreign policy priorities. We're letting this crap in our country and we're allowing criminal aliens, terrorists to remain in this country, often become citizens. And then we're like, oh, we got to go overseas to fight terror, when really the problem is we bring it to our shores so they could commit the crimes here, commit terrorism here, but then also fund it overseas. Cutting off terror finance is the mother's milk of terrorism. You don't need to have all these you know, heavy-handed occupations and nation-building that cost trillions of dollars, expends the lives of our soldiers for nothing. You cut off the, the spigot, which is often in our own country because of our immigration policies. Unbelievable. This is just unbelievable. Fayetteville, North Carolina is the latest case. CBS, this is the local CBS um, affiliate in Fayetteville. Now, this wasn't, I don't think they caught K2 Spice, but this was a cigarette case. And Derek was, was emailing me yesterday. He was like, you don't understand. This is exactly what I was talking about. A cigarette trafficking ring based in Cumberland County was busted in what U.S. Marshals are call, calling one of the largest operations of its kind. U.S. Attorney Robert Higdon said Operation Southern Lights worked to track cigarettes being smuggled to New York where they were sold illegally. The cigarettes were bought in large quantities from Frico in Fayetteville. Those cigarettes were then moved to Richmond, Virginia, then to Syracuse, and they were sold illegally. The combined sales amounted to $12.3 million, according to the U.S. Attorney. They said it was the largest operation in the Eastern District of North Carolina. Agents performed 26 raids in North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Virginia, and New York. They were indicted on tax fraud charges. Now, you know, you look at this case and, you know, I would have totally ignored it. Ho-hum, you know, cigarette tax, cigarette um, sales, you know, tax fraud, ho-hum. Right? You, you wouldn't think this is a big deal. 
Derek shows me the indictment, 31 out of the 32 names are Middle Eastern. I mean, so that's that's a horse of a different color. This isn't just, okay, your typical white-collar crime. This is terror finance going on on our shores. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't care about these low-level drug offenses. A lot of the drugs and racketeering, it's funding terrorism. It's a whole different story when you have a bunch of Middle Eastern immigrants engaging in this. Why are we bringing this all into our country and why aren't we doing more to get rid of it? Meaning, as I always say, the front line in the war on terror is our border. When I say our border, I mean both our land border and our visas, their airports, don't let them in. And to the extent we've already made mistakes, including for 17 years after 9-11 and doubling immigration from these countries, well, then it becomes an FBI, HSI, DEA problem if drugs are involved, which they often are. It's not a military issue. We don't need to continue military spending over and beyond the current baseline and then put us on the hook for non-defense spending because then we have to pay the ransom to Democrats so we can go overseas to piss around while we bring this crap to our country. It's unbelievable. But I thought you guys should know about that. We talked about this last year and you would never know about this. You think it's just some run-of-the-mill um, tax fraud ring. And then you see 32 indictments. You're like, wait a minute, 31 of them are, are Middle Easterners. Likely Yemenis. That's a very big deal. That is a very big deal on a horse of a very different color. And again, I'm just reminding you, tying back to our discussion yesterday with jailbreak, often, again, when you see people in federal prison for long sentences on racketeering, cigarette fraud, drug paraphernalia, it's often because of this. There's a cartel angle. There's a terror finance angle. That's the big lie that no one ever talks about. I'll link to it in show notes. You're, you're going to see a chart. Operation Southern Lights. It's very clear. Justin Brent Freeman is the only guy that's not. I think he was just the owner. But everyone else, Malik Muhammad Al-Asaidi, Shabain, Al-Shami, Abdu, Bekir, Ali Amar, Darwish, Hamadi, Al-Nakab, Shibli, Khalifa, Abdul Jawad, Yabadabadu, <laughs> um, yeah, this is a big deal. Now, some of them are still fugitives. Some of them were released, of course, on bond. Who knows what's going to happen with them? I'll show you. It's a, it's a PowerPoint presentation. I'll show it to you on, um, on show notes. So that's what it is. The biggest reason we need a federal government is to not admit and ensure that they're not allowed to remain at least dangerous foreign national illegal aliens or in a criminal case, illegal immigrants. Is it too much to ask for? I mean, this is the single biggest question Trump and every Republican every day, all their messaging hearings, legislation should be oriented to. Do we need other countries criminals? Should we harbor other countries criminals? 
drugs, gangs, terrorism. You could find it among Americans, but at a primary level, a lot of this is driven by foreign nationals and you could get rid of it. It is the biggest public policy problem we have now. It's the most redressable problem. And it's also the biggest job of the federal government. Why have a federal government if they're not going to do this? Why pay taxes if we're not going to enforce the law? And if we have virtue signaling from the media, supplant the law. That is the biggest concern today. And one other thought, just going back to sanctuary cities. Yesterday you might have seen that a Bush judge in North Carolina agreed with Governor Roy Cooper not to enforce HB 142, the so-called bathroom law, passed in North Carolina. So now you could have a federal judge, federal judge, say that a state is so crushed into dust and is so irrelevant that they do not have the prerogative to even define gender for the purpose of their local bathrooms. Again, just to be clear, the state, people start, act as if the state started to get involved in bathrooms. No, it started with Charlotte. The city of Charlotte, pushed by a pedophile, banned traditional bathrooms from the city, public and private, private business. You are not allowed to have a normal bathroom. So the state just came in and said, look, you know, supremacy, we have supremacy over local ordinances. You can't do that. Very simple. So it wasn't like our side trying to get involved in bathrooms. It's the other side getting involved. And now a federal judge could just come in um, and just do what they want. So that in itself is just insane in and of itself. But um, I was just thinking, it's unbelievable how states are nothing when it comes to every other issue. Just today, an Arkansas judge comes in and says, yet another state can't enforce his abortion laws. Right, it was a law barring abortion after 18 weeks. So this is almost, you know, this is much later in the process. 18 weeks, it simply required abortion providers to have qualifications, and then it banned abortions based on genetic anomalies, like Indiana tried to do. And a federal judge puts a temporary injunction on it. All of the internal affairs, remember Madison said states control internal order, life, marriage, gender, I mean anything you can imagine. No, unelected federal government could come in, unelected branch of the federal government, commandeer them. But somehow when it comes to the issue of immigration, which is international and national in scope, it is one of the top two issues, that in interstate commerce, for which our founders crafted the Constitution, moved away from the Articles of Confederation, in the words of Madison, to cure the problem with obnoxious aliens being admitted by one state that other states didn't want, 
somehow they could they're all powerful they could block they could say this they could block ice somehow the federal government is nothing reduced to rubble completely helpless even in Sodom and Gomorrah the clock is probably right twice a day but not in this judicial hell that we live in and especially without an equal and opposing force pushing back on it it is truly unbelievable I mean you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, um, Daniel, we're making a lot of progress in life. No, you're not making progress on anything if you agree to judicial supremacy, judicial tyranny. You're really not. And and by the way, I'm going to try to have um, <clears throat> Dan Forrest, a friend of the show. We've had him on before. He's the lieutenant governor. He's going to char- ch- uh, challenge Roy Cooper for the governorship. Because um, in in those type of states, they they run on opposite tickets. But uh, this is where we are. The left wing wins fifty year culture cultural battles overnight without firing a shot. Without firing a shot. You know what I find amazing? Just utterly amazing that North Carolina was a state that was very reluctant to join the union. And initially, they voted it down. They were very concerned that the state would go ahead and the federal government would go ahead and just commandeer the state, just just crush the state government. Um, and their concern was Congress. They never envisioned the you know unelected branch. They never ever envisioned that. And you know what? At the time, Madison said. This is a quote. It is not probable that the Supreme Court would long be indulged in a career of usurpation opposed to the decided opinions and policy of the legislature, nor do I think that Congress, even seconded by the judicial power, can without some change in the character of the nation succeed in durable violations of the rights and authorities of the states. Well, there's been a change in the character of the nation. It's mainly embodied in the, in the elites, but there's nobody pushing back, so it is, may as well be a change across the board. And that's how the courts, even without Congress, often against Congress, are able to crush the states. But it's funny. Our government was actually ratified. George Washington was sworn in, and North Carolina was still not admitted. Later on, under pressure, they met again in Fayetteville. Speaking of Fayetteville, and they had a second convention, and very narrowly, they agreed to join the union. It was only after their people promised at the convention um to uh to hold the line you know that the, that that look you know the states are still going to have power 
That was a big deal to them. The notion that the unelected federal government could just come in and do what they want. I, I just don't. I, I just don't get who would have ever thought that. Who would have ever thought that? That the courts could just commandeer a state like that? Just commandeer a state? But we let it go. We don't have anyone pushing back. Muller, Muller, Muller. Muller in the morning, Muller in the evening, Muller at night. That's all people care about. Now, I don't think people really do because I think if you give, if you put steak on their table, I think they'll take it. I think they understand what's good. But if you indulge them with nonsense, they'll focus on nonsense. You know what's funny? I'm going to, I'm going to show you something very ironic. Super duper ironic. We're going to come full circle and close the show by tying everything together. Rather than discussing Mueller today, we've discussed some of the most fundamental issues of our time. Anarchy, where media is able to control laws now. Laws not being enforced. Foundational sovereignty laws not being enforced. Criminals being treated like heroes. And law enforcement heroes being treated like criminals. Case law, code law being treated as lawlessness. And what's antithetical being thrown out by lawless judges. Judges now mandating transgenderism in the states. There was a man from North Carolina, one of the the most famous founders of North Carolina of the founding generation was James Erdell. Okay, if you want to look him up, if you're not familiar with, um, with someone like that, Look, look him up. Look, look up his pedigree. And you'll see he was really one of the top founders, very instrumental in crafting Article 3 of the United States Constitution. Okay? Now, this guy made it very clear in a 1799 case exactly the power of sovereignty. I want to quote this to you. It's very important. James Erdell, one of the authors of Article 3 of the Constitution, the role of the courts. Okay, He was one of the authors of the role of the courts. So you can't get anything better than this. He was a, an original Supreme Court justice nominated by George Washington. Okay, so again, it doesn't get greater than this. I'm going to mix to you three quotes that will tie together today's show. It will tie together North Carolina and transgenderism and then judges. The real power of sovereignty of a nation to deport. And um, lawless judges just turning that around. He wrote in this case, and this was a Pennsylvania case. It was a district case. I guess he was riding circuit like they did in those days. 
Any alien coming to this country must or ought to know that this being an independent nation, it has all the rights concerning the removal of aliens, which belongs by the law of nations to any other, that while he remains in the country in the character of an alien, he can claim no other privilege than such as an alien is entitled to, and consequently whatever risk he may incur in that capacity is incurred voluntarily with the hope that in due time by his unexceptionable conduct, he may become a citizen of the United States. Remember, he was talking about those lawfully permitted to enter, certainly not those that break into the country to begin with, that somehow you need a criminal warrant and criminal case to get him out. Obviously, as we quoted from many Supreme Court cases, the exact opposite. The guy who said that was James Erdile. Again, if you want to look him up, it's I-R-E-D-E-L-L. This was a man who also said, He wrote in a 1787 letter that the judiciary should not – he's talking about the judiciary declaring laws unconstitutional. Again, they don't veto. We've said this many times. Just for their purposes, for the purposes of the judicial branch, we believe this law is unconstitutional. But even for their purposes, any law should be unconstitutional beyond dispute before it is pronounced as such. A law should be unconstitutional beyond dispute. Right, so none of this, oh, we think it's about time to start making new rights. No, you have to show that it's unconstitutional beyond dispute. And then let me give you one other quote from him. At that convention in Fayetteville, remember in the Greensboro Convention in 1788, they voted it down. They don't want the Constitution. They don't want to have anything to do with the new federal government. It was once they got in there, they passed the Bill of Rights. They had the 10th Amendment. North Carolina leaders met again in Fayetteville. James Erdell stood up there and he said that the president, quote, would have no power of legislation and that their federal representatives would stand for the state. He basically gave a speech and said, look, who is the federal government but the composition of the members from the state? So it's our people representing us. The funny thing is that he – back then they were worried about a president. They thought he would be a king. So he said, don't worry. The president will not, quote, have – will, quote, have no power of legislation. How tragic that now the unelected judiciary has the power of God – forget a legislator – to upend male and female plumbing, to upend immigration law, to give a federal power to the state, state power to the Fed – Citizen rights to aliens and treat citizens of the United States like aliens in our own land. A lot more going on. We will not talk about Mueller here, so you're going to have to get that elsewhere. But I know a lot of you appreciate this. We're going to push hard on the inside. We're going to push hard on the outside. We're going to prepare to expand the show to video, get it to more people. Send me your comments, concerns, and thoughts at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. <laughs>